I think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, On a head-to-head -head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Hey, they're going to throw me out of here, fellas. You're going to get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like, in Argentina for River Plate or Boca Juniors. Or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matter look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now, the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr, my co-host, Rob Rojas. League title in the top five leagues of Europe will let you know which league we think is over. Chelsea wins the Club World Cup with a 2-1 victory over Palmeiras. Senegal win their first African Cup of Nations title after a penalty shootout against the Pharaohs of Egypt. Up next for them, a home-on-home -home match with the same team to decide who will go to the World Cup. And big moves are made in the January transfer window. We're going to discuss those and much, much more with our very special guest, Mr. Zeke Tell from Gianluca DiMarzio, who will be joining us in just a little bit. But first, let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. What's going on, my man? How you been? I'm doing well, John. I'm doing well. I mean, I, I was hoping that you'd be a bit more disappointed after what you saw from Juve just a couple of minutes ago. But no, and I think it's like you said, I think we're already declaring winners um, you know, like you said, you mentioned champions of the Club World Cup with Chelsea, champions of the AFCON with Senegal, and now we're declaring another league winner across our top five leagues. So, no, everything's good, man. I'm super glad to be back after a, a little. And it was the 1 1 draw with uh, with also the table. And we're going to get into it. With, I don't want to get too deep into the, the woods with Juve, but uh, it certainly. From my standpoint, disappointing. Uh, I think it's something that I think Juve should have won today. I think they were good enough to win today, and I think they just didn't get the job done, which is concerning for me moving forward. So let's, but I don't want to go down the deep down that that road any further than that because I know we're going to talk about that with Zeke in a little bit. So, my friend, it's been a long time, but I have the honor of trivia tonight. If you would like me to lay the question on you. Go for it. All right, so here we go. So, uh, as I had mentioned in the uh, opening monologue, Chelsea with a 2-1 victory over Palmettis in the Club World Cup. The Club World Cup is really, since its inception in 2000, has been something that um, European clubs have completely dominated. And, you know, going back to 2006, uh, Internacional beat Barcelona 1-0 in that matchup. But since then, only one non-European team has won the Club World Cup after 2006. I want you to tell me who that team is, who did they beat, and the final score of it was one nothing. So I want you to tell me who scored. Easy. 
I got this. All I remember th- watching that game. All so. three, boom, boom, boom. Yes, sir. Love it. I, I, you know, I wanted to throw the third part in there, the who scored part, because you know, for me, he's one of my all-time favorite players. I, I really enjoyed watching him well, play. Absolutely. And uh, so I, you know, good. Uh, hopefully, it's a good question. Or at least I hope the listeners. Think it's a good question. <laughs> well, we'll see. Maybe, maybe my, my memory served me. Yep. different in the last 10 years <laughs> well, well hey we're going to give you that uh, answer to that question at the end of the show coming up in just a little bit so let's get into our opening thoughts today and as you've followed the show here if our listeners have followed the show you'll know that we probably i think what about december roberto beginning of january we declared manchester city the winner of the uh premier league I, you know they at that point there were over 12 points ahead of liverpool and chelsea chelsea had fallen off the wayside here and obviously with the you know winning the club world cup they, they, they've won multiple trophies this year i don't think this is a failure on chelsea's part by any stretch of the imagination um but we had declared manchester city the the winner we're going to declare our second winner in just a moment but i want to look really quick at the uh, goal scoring race here in the premier league because i think it's an interesting one i think it's an entertaining one uh muhammad salah coming off of uh, of his second place finish in the african cup of nations and then going back to Senegal now, he currently leads all scorers in uh, in the Premier League with 16 goals. He's also got nine assists. He's also the top assist guy in, in the Premier League, from what I can tell. Um, Diogo Jota, his his teammate, uh, is on 12 goals. But then Raheem Sterling is, on th- is in third place on 10 goals. I want to ask you, Roberto, obviously Salah and Diogo Jota are going to trade opportunities, let's say. You know, Liverpool is one of the highest scoring teams in the uh, Premier League at the moment. Um, do they take goals away from each other? And can Raheem Sterling, can jump? Can he jump into this goal-scoring race? Because I think that's kind of where the, some of the entertainment is going to come from this Premier League moving through the last uh, you know 14 match days coming up. Well, it's funny that you consider that, Joe, considering that Liverpool and Man City have the same amount of goals uh, that they've scored uh, this season. So <laughs> it's kind of crazy to believe. Um, and they've won. They've lost also the same amount of games in two Losses. So, yeah, it, it's very interesting, really. I, I think both these sides love to score goals. I think they also love to share these goals as well. You know, you get goal scorers from all across um, Liverpool and City. I don't know how many different goal scorers that Liverpool has had so far in the Premier League season, but I'd imagine it's a ton. You know, I'll probably do a quick uh, little Google search real quick to see if I can find it. But mm-hmm. no, it's I think it's it's impressive, to say the least, on both these sides. You know, these guys really love to score goals, and I think... You know, the fact that even when you look at this list, Joe, I mean, you know, the fact that Raheem Sterling is the one that um, is leading the way, you would say, mm-hmm. um, and, and only leading the way for City. If you look at everyone in the top goal screen race, I mean, Liverpool have three players, Salah, Jota, and you got Sadio Mane right there mm-hmm. in within the, um, you know, tied for sixth place with eight goals. But that just shows how how dominant that both these sides are in terms of like. If Sterling are gonna catch, is going to catch up, I mean, I think it's going to be a case to see how City move towards the end of the season. I mean, yes, like you said, I think you can declare them the, the winners of the Premier League. It's only a matter of time until it's going to be made official mathematically. But mm. maybe we look at Pep Guardiola, who you know likes to also rotate whenever. Jurgen Klopp as well is also a manager that likes to do that. So I'm curious to see if, you know, maybe it kind of favors players like Raheem Sterling that, you know, this is a player that isn't a consistent starter. Yes. He's obviously started a ton so far uh, for, for city, but you know, this isn't someone that is an undisputed starter to say the least. So, you know, he sometimes comes off the bench. Sometimes he doesn't even play, but that just shows how effective he can be. Whereas the case for like Salah and Jota, 
okay, Salah, yes, is the undisputed starter on his day. But, you know, Jota is someone that maybe is rotating with Firmino. You got Luis Diaz also on there as well, Joe, that mm. just came from, from Porto. So, and he's a player that likes to play on the wing. So maybe this gives Salah a bit of a break, and maybe that gives that advantage to Raheem Sterling. So while I don't think it's possible, or in my in my estimation, I think that Sterling is going to reach Salah, mm-hmm. um, I wouldn't be surprised if we do see kind of a little bit of a race heading in towards the likely to to get that that Golden Boots, and you know, depending on how they do and for the rest of the season, you know, got Champions League as well, and see what they do in that. Um, I think. Salah is going to be your your main goal scorer for Liverpool, and he's probably going to be the main goal scorer for the league at the end of the season. Yeah, and I, and I and I agree with you too. And you know, many of the listeners might look at the table; they might you know, as a snapshot of the table, just to give you real quick. Currently, City are nine points ahead of Liverpool. Liverpool have a match at hand, so provisionally six points ahead. If you see that that they convert that, but Manchester City has only dropped twelve points the entire season, which is and. An incredible run, I, you know. So, you know, you might think of this, if you look at Liverpool, they make up that match, and I don't know who it's against, but they make up that match. They, they go ahead and go six points back of City. Now, all of a sudden, they're in striking distance. I just don't see City dropping enough points from here to the end of the road to uh, to allow Liverpool. So I think we're sticking with that uh, that prediction. Let's. I think you had the uh, the top goal scores in the top five leagues up at the moment. Let's let's look at that really quick before we jump into our next league because I think uh, I think it's some interesting uh, discussion there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, heading into you know now the midway point of the season, you know, you look at some of the players that are standing out all across Europe, and it's a who's who of players that are you know making this top ten race. Obviously, Robert Lewandowski is leading the way for Bayern Munich, the top goals, <laughs> the most goals scored. Uh, not just in all of Europe for for a team in Bayern Munich, but also the player with the most goals in all across Europe. You got Chiro Immobile, who you know is doing very very well as he's always been doing uh, consistently at Lazio over there in Serie A. Patrick Schlick, you know, a name that you know we've always been accustomed to, had had his time over there in in Italy. He had a great Euros, if you remember, Joe, and now he's getting a bunch of goals on a good Leverkusen side. He has 19 shared with Immobile. The new boy that is now that traded La Viola for the old lady, Dusan Vlavic, DV7, as they like to call him, is still in that race, 17 goals. And, you know, he's, he's, done, he's continuing his goal scoring. You saw that. He's scoring on his debut for, for Juventus. Uh, Karim Benzema, obviously, with 17 goals, leading the way in Spain. Erling Haaland, you know, another player that likes to make this kind of list at such a young age, at 21, with 16 goals. And you have Malk Salah with, uh, with 16s in seventh place. Anthony Motste, remember that name, Joe? Oh, sure. FC Cologne, 14 goals so far, tied with Wissen Ben Yedder of Monaco. And a new boy, Raul de Tomas, a 27-year-old for Espanol, an Espanol side that just tied Barcelona in the uh, Derby de Barcelona a couple of minutes ago. So, you know, it's it's getting really different, you would say. You know, and, and even looking at that, looking even further, you got Diego Jota on that way, Cholo Simeone, Cholito Simeone, Giovanni Simeone on there with 12. Kylian Mbappe is also on this list. So it's really been, I would say, total dominance from Lewandowski, a seven-goal advantage with nearly a quarter of the season almost done. And I, I, I don't see anyone stealing his his boots, in this case, his golden boot for, for a second straight year. Agreed. And, and you know, I'm going to segue off of your rundown of the uh, top goal scorers in Europe because... One of the interesting, it's going to lead me right into the next league that we want to talk about, which is the one we're going to declare. And uh, Visam Ben Yedder, 
leading currently Ligon, when you've got Kylian Mbappe, you've got Lionel Messi, you've got Neymar, you've got so many talented players. Angel Di Maria has really been on an upswing both for club and country right now as well. You know, to see Ben Yedder at the top of that list, and it's a great list. You know, there's only uh, there's only three goals separating five players, including Canada's Jonathan David, who's also been doing very well in qualifying uh, for Canada. You know, it's that's going to be an interesting race to watch in Ligue 1 moving forward. One of the sub, you know, one of the sub stories. I think uh, the the right now, if you look at it, there are only three. Po- I'm sorry, four points separating 15th from 20th right now. In Ligue 1. So that that race for the bottom three is going to be ridiculous going on the, the the stretch here in the final stretch of the season. But again, if you want to drum roll this or whatever, our next champion that we are going to declare, uh, and I know this is totally, un, you know, totally expected, Paris Saint-Germain uh, currently sitting 13 points without giving any matches at hand after 24 matches. 13 points ahead of second place Marseille. Marseille is nice to see their niece as well uh, in that hunt for those European spots. Uh, or those uh, those Champions League spots, but right now thirteen points dominant, only lost one match all season long. They're on a four match win streak in league. Currently the best offensive team in league one and fifty two goals. Currently the best defensive team in nineteen goals. Uh, th- this one's an easy one as well. So you want to and and also. I think it benefits them going into the knockout stages of the Champions League. Now you've got everyone's making the big joke that Lionel Messi scored more goals in 2022 than uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. We could go down that that road some other day. But uh, just PSG, you know, doing what they, you expect them to do in, uh, in, in Ligue 1, how do you think this affects them uh, moving into Champions League? Can they kind of put Ligue 1 aside and just really bear down on what they need to do in Champions League? Well, you have to admit as well, Joe, I mean, yes, while they do get the huge advantage of possibly winning Liga, you have to look at the way that they've done it, Joe. You know, they, they've suffered, actually, this season. You, you mean, the results say one thing, but the way that they've done it says another. You know, they had to come back from going down a few goals. Sometimes they had to score in the last few minutes, um, even the last minute, like we saw with Kylian Mbappe over the weekend. So while that is something for, you know, in, in this case, the the Liga, when you're, you know, obviously are trying to get as much points possible to to win a title, it's going to be a different story when it comes to the Champions League. You know, with the fact that you do need goals to score uh, to advance um, to the next round, and you know, the fact that their next opponent that we'll be talking about in a, in a bit is not an easy one. So, I, I think yes, while they could indeed keep Liga aside, which they've done over the years as well, Joe, this isn't nothing new for them. Now is the big test for Pochettino to see if they are really effective enough to be, you know, the best team in the world. And in this case, obviously, to win the Champions League. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I I agree. And and you know what? Since we've since we've officially, I, I think we're both in agreement that PSG have won league on at this point. Um, so we're declaring them the winners. You know, we've seen enough, like Dave Wasserman would said, right? Right. There you go. Yeah, um, exactly. We, we've seen enough. Uh, PSG definitely the champions of league on this year. Um, but let's talk about their opponent because let's go into La Liga real quick because I think now, once we hit these last three leagues that we want to talk about real quick. Um, this is where we get down and dirty, right? And let's start with Ligue 1 because it's a great segue because PSG and Real Madrid are going to be facing off against each other um, coming up this week. It'll be one of our matches of the week in the Champions League. And again, like you said, this was the uh, this was the focus. This was the goal. Um, the, the, when you acquire Lionel Messi, you, you are trying to put together the final pieces to win a Champions League. You know the ambition of PSG. You know what they want to win. You know where they're going. And 
and this is really the focus. And I know we're going to talk about this with Zeke a little bit further, you know, a little deeper, you know, in a few minutes. Um, let's look at it from the Real Madrid side because Real Madrid currently are still in a battle. Um, they've only won two of their last five matches in league uh, on the weekend. They uh, managed to draw Villarreal nil nil. They are currently only four points ahead of Sevilla. Uh, you know, and I think that's that's another thing we should talk about. That we're talking about Sevilla being that second place team chasing them. It's not Atleti. It's not Barcelona. It is uh, it is Sevilla. And, and even if you wanted to, it's a major stretch to the the third place side. Is uh, Betis who won a big match today against Levante four two. Nawal Fakir with a brace in that one and an excellent match for them. Um, but I think it's a bridge too far for them to travel eleven points uh, after twenty four matches. I think Barca and Atleti are out. I don't think that they can chase them. I think um, you're looking at 15 points between Barca and Atleti to catch Real Madrid. This is really Sevilla's race. I'm not ready to call Real Madrid um, the winners of La Liga, but my question to you is, with Sevilla being really the best defensive team uh, in the league right now, they've only conceded 16 goals. Do you see Sevilla being able to push them, especially now that they've got Europa League against Dinamo Zagreb coming up? Um, they do have a tough match coming up against Espanyol, and, and they're going to have Betis coming up, which is a matchup between second and third place at the end of the month. They're really a, a bunch of steps. They're going to have still Barcelona on the on the schedule. They still have Real Madrid on the schedule in April. Can Sevilla push Barcelona to really have to fight tooth and nail for that last step um, to get to that final um, of La Liga title? Yeah, it's it's going to be tough, really, honestly. I think we've always understand that this race in La Liga has always been close. And looking at how a lot of these teams are competing in European competitions, we have to see how, you know, um, focused they are in these type of matches. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, while, yeah, I agree. I don't think this La Liga is over by any stretch of the imagination. I think it's still open. Um, ultimately, I think the games that are coming up the ones that could indeed decide the championships in his own. So, yeah, um, it's it's really impressive when you really look at Sevilla. Like you said, you know, the best defensive side in all of La Liga, but a Real Madrid side that is one of the best, no, sorry, the best goal-scoring team in La Liga as well. So, yeah, yeah it, it's it's still open, but I, I think at this stage of the season, Joe, I think it only has to take one of these teams to drop points to really sided around either we're going to have another race like a Liga, a Liga, like they always say when a race opens up over there in La Liga, um, in the case of maybe Real Madrid dropping points, or if Sevilla continue to drop points um, within the season, I think uh, that gives enough of an advantage So to Real Madrid, which, you know, Sevilla took advantage. They got the win over the weekend, but they took advantage of that draw that Real Madrid had against Villarreal. So, yeah, it's it's far from over. But I think in terms of quality, in terms of talent, and I think overall on how we really focus on the season and try to assess it, I think Real Madrid still are the favorites to, to win the league. Yeah, and you know, you look at Sevilla adding Tecatito Corona, the uh, Mexican international, to the side, obviously looking to add a few more goals to the to the club. Julian Lopez Tegui, uh, you know, obviously an experienced manager. And, you know, I, if I remember correctly, and I want to just, I'm looking up my notes here really quick. But if I remember correctly, um, Karim Benzema, yes, he's currently injured. Um, yep. He's got a thigh injury. We don't know how long he's going to be out for. At least I haven't. I don't have that information handy with me. Um, it's gotten to the point where they've actually started to incorporate Gareth Bale uh, back into the mix, which, mix, which is kind of interesting. Uh, yes. You know, it, it, it's going to be a race. I mean, I think ultimately 
Real Madrid are going to win it. It's nice to be able to to, to be in front. But at the same time, I think uh, I, I think Sevilla can do quite a bit to push them. They're a talented side, and I think we'll definitely go ahead and push them forward. So let's uh, let's table La Liga. Let's head over to the Bundesliga real quick, because at the Bundesliga, um, you know, you would expect Bayern Munich to be over and done with here. But today, uh, Dortmund. Um, actually, I'm just looking for my results here quickly. I know it was earlier today, uh, beating Union Berlin three nil. They've moved to within. Uh, six points of Bayern Munich and beating a Berlin side that is actually chasing European positions here currently on 34 points and and really just outside of the European spots on goal differential. Um, Dortmund getting Giovanni Reina back healthy. Uh, Erling Holland has not been performing quite as as well as we had expected. Uh, he's currently on 16 goals. I mean, he's not he's not doing terribly. Let's let's, you know, make sure we mention that. But um, same question. Can uh you know, can Erling Holland, can can Borussia Dortmund, can they push Bayern Munich, uh, being six points back here at this point in the in the stage in the game? I also think that we do have a Der Klassiker coming up in April between the two of them, so there is an opportunity to to take points away immediately. What are your thoughts on uh, on the race here in Germany? Yeah, and then you know, obviously looking at um, Bayern Munich dropping points to Bochum on the uh, Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that really <laughs> opens everything up now. Like you said, yes, we still have a Der Klassiker to play, but it's those Der Klassikers that always have been the kryptonite for Bar- Borussia Dortmund. Like every time that they look like they can push Bayern to the distance and then try to cut the cut the gap. It just does not work for them. We don't know if this is going to be the same. We, I mean, this Bayern Munich side obviously has the best goal-scoring team in all of Europe, the top goal-scorer of all of Europe, and the top assist-maker in Thomas Muller. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think you expected these kind of glips from Bayern Munich in the um, in the league, obviously, under Nagelsmann. But I think ultimately speaking, it's going to come down to those games um, where it's all, you know, really just, direct and i think obviously you know looking ahead of the the schedule like you said i mean there are some games that i think both Bayern and dortmund could obviously get the points and could obviously take advantage and then you know you look at this one on march 5th joe you got Bayern munich taking on Bayer leverkusen you know that's a match that you know if (laughs) Bayern aren't um prepared you know and they could drop points and that could lead into dortmund gaining more um more of close of being able to close the gap and have you know and let's see you know another classic or that mm. Dortmund indeed do beat Bayern Munich and there we go now we have a a whole different can of worms have been opened so yeah, yeah I, I think it's the same case with Real Madrid as well I mean this side is so dominant very talented we know what they're like obviously they've, they've kept a lot of the majority of the players that they've that made them so successful so one would hope that Bayern Munich would continue their dominance towards the end of the season but. I feel as if, though, because of the head-to-head matches and the matches that are, you know, against sides that are within that kind of race, you would say, for the um, for European spots or, or whatever, um, yeah, I, I, we, I don't think it's it's too close to call this race. You know, yeah. I like to use the, the election references, but um, no, I think we're still in for a, for a good league race. And that match between Leverkusen and Munich is going to be a very, very big match because uh, Leverkusen currently sit uh, 11 points back of Bayern Munich 
but they're you know they're also trying to hold off RB Leipzig. They're trying to hold off Hoffenheim. In the Bundesliga, they've won their f- last four matches. They're unbeaten in their last five matches. Bayern Munich have dropped uh, had two losses in that same time frame. So there, there is something interesting, uh, you know, with Bayer Leverkusen that they could possibly um, at least try to stick their noses back in this race, uh, starting with that Bayern Munich match. Bayern Munich match, and um, just to give you how bad the Bayern Munich loss was uh, to Bochum on the weekend. Bochum are as close to the relegation playoff spot as Bayern Munich are to Dortmund in second place. They're all six six points apart, so that's a, an interesting spot to lose a, a team that is as fighting for their relegation lives, where Bayern Munich is really, you know, because of the loss, still still fighting for the title there. Um, I'm going to ask you a question, Mr. Rojas, right now as we'll table the Bundesliga because we have one more league to talk about, and that's going to be the Serie A. Should we discuss it now, or should we bring our guest in here and chat with him about it because we could do both um, at the same time? So which would you rather do? Would you rather talk about it first, or would you rather bring our guest in? No, let's get our guest in. Let's Let's get him into the discussion. Awesome. So let's start off with Zeke Tell by discussing the Serie A. So without further ado, the Zeke Tell interview. And joining us now on Low Limit Football from Gianluca DiMarzio, Zeke Tell. Zeke, welcome back to the show. It is great to have you on. Uh, Roberto and I were just uh, having a chat about the top five leagues, and we wanted to stop at our city. I talked to talk to you with that one because, uh, you know, for a little while now, Inter have been leading the way. But when we look back on the table here at the end of the day, Currently, AC Milan sit at the top of the table at 55 points, especially after their big win in the Derby della Madonnina. Uh, you know, we look at that. We look at Inter dropping points over the last uh, three of their last four matches. We look at Napoli drawing Inter, which was a huge opportunity for Juventus. And what does Juventus do? They go and draw Atalanta, where they could have, you know, easily jumped into within uh, w- within seven points of first place, which would have been ridiculous at this point. Going to be the most compelling race of all the top five leagues going forward because the margins are so slim. Uh, but I want to ask you a question: With Juve currently sitting nine points outside of AC Milan, you've got Atalanta sitting eleven points outside of AC AC Milan. I think AC Milan, Inter Milan, and Napoli are all definitely contenders for the Scudetto at this time. But for Juventus and Atalanta, would you consider them contenders or would you consider them pretenders to actually battle for the for the top spot in the league overall? Well, I can't rule any of them out because it's been so unpredictable and the finishes go down to the wire and anyone can win in these games. And we saw it play out in Juventus' game today. Well, at least they had a chance to get uh, one point instead of uh, none from their match with Atalanta. But... Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's topsy-turvy. I mean, don't take your eyes away from this race. Um, I think that's one piece of advice I can give anyone who wants to follow it because things change and the, the, the play is really spectacular. So mm-hmm. it's one to watch. Um, I totally agree with you there. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna touch on Dusan Vlajovic a little later on in the interview because I want to kind of deep dive into the transfer window, um, but I want to talk about Napoli just really quick. Napoli currently sitting two points behind AC Milan. They're the best defensive team right now in the Serie A. I've only conceded 17 goals so far in this, but you have to question uh, going all the way to the uh, the finals and winning the African Cup of Nations, going out on international duty for so long. Inter still able to maintain their positioning with that. What are your thoughts on their ability to maintain that defensive posture? And can they, um, you know, what's what's going to be the key to them to challenge for that Serie A title moving forward? 
yeah, it's got to be defensively. Um, I think you look at their goals conceded, it's a uh, ridiculously impressive number this year. Um, and I think that, um, you know, Napoli have shown that they can fight with Inter, they can fight with the top teams, and they have Koulibaly back now from the his triumphant uh, turn in the African Cup of Nations. And um, he's going to be the key to them. I mean, he he powers the, the defensive mindset, the physical mindset, and you saw how physical the game with Inter was. And I think without Koulibaly there, they don't stand up to Inter because the way that that team is drilled, the way that they play, just, just the, you know, the athletes that they have um, on, on their side, you know, Napoli really had to, you know, put uh, all of their, their metal towards, um, you know, just withstanding uh, that type of match. And, and they brought it to them. I mean, it was um, the first half was, was wide, wide uh, open on both sides, back and forth. And um, uh, Napoli, you know, there were fine margins in that game, and and defensively they did enough. Um, they withstood enough, um, and yeah, they're still pushing for the first place and for the scudetto. That would be uh, achievement for them and something uh, really remarkable. Sure, sure. Now I want to go back up to the to Juventus here. I'm, I'm you know, and without getting too deep into the. Um, transfer window portion of the program. They've obviously added Dusan Vlahovic and Denis Zakaria onto the team. They've gotten rid of De- uh, Dejan Kulishevsky. They got rid of Aaron Ramsey finally. They got rid of Rodrigo Bentancourt to my brother's absolute delight. It was like a Christmas present for him. Um, but they've dropped two of their last three matches. Uh, obviously the top teams, the nil-nil draw against AC Milan and obviously the 1-1 draw against Atalanta today where they had to leave it really late to get that uh, to get that one point. Um, with Juventus, you know, are these the pieces that they needed and how does this transfer translate to them going into the summer window? Because Juve, by all accounts um, or all accounting, is kind of broke. So how did they how did they pull off these two moves and do they have any money in the summer to to progress this project even further? I mean it was a stroke of magic really. I think that struck in the in the January transfer window for Juventus. I don't know how else you can describe it or imagine it and and to think that the pieces they have now with Vlaovic and you know the midfield being a little solidified with um Zachary too. Um it, it, it couldn't have gone better. And, you know, he can propel them. Vlahovic can. He's um, shown to be a dominant striker in Syria. And that is, you know, as a Juventus person, you couldn't ask for, you know, couldn't ask for that, you know, couldn't ask for anymore. Um, so, yeah, you mentioned their financial difficulties and, 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 and the fact that they were able to sell Bentoncourt, sell Kulisevsky, um, you know, lose those players in order to make improvements, you know, has, you know, was, was, um, you know, it all really fell into place um, in, a, in a really special way. And um, I think they're at a point in their cycle where they're transitioning players and adding to, you know, the, the development through their, their core younger, younger players. Um, and, and they have them at, at some, you know, key positions. Um you know, Delict hopefully is there for the long term in Syria and doesn't get scooped up by another, um, you know, from a bigger club. Um, he's he, he's going to solidify Juventus as Vlahovic will in the attack. Um, so it might be a, a summer where they don't splash a lot, but maybe they mix and match and they kind of do a little bit of what Inter did, where they you know they've strengthened. They didn't you know they uh, they, they were able to 
retain players, uh, you know, like Napoli, uh, another team retained their players and, you know, has a strong team this year. So it might be more of that type of Juventus and less of the, uh, you know, the, the strong financial behemoth Juventus that Serie A fans know uh, a little bit more. So, Zeke, switching gears now to obviously the Champions League that begins uh, midweek. Obviously, I think everyone wants to talk about the PSG Real Madrid match that has happening on Tuesday. But I really wanted to focus more on the Italian sides, um, not just in the Champions League, but also in the Europa League. Firstly, you know, you look at Inter against Liverpool, an Inter side that, you know, like you had said, is, is really deep into a race that is completely undecided. The fact that they really did not take advantage of winning over there uh, against uh, Milan in the in the derby, I think now gives them even more of an obligation to really get the result against Liverpool, you know, hosting them at home. And then looking at the two sides that are in the Europa League, Napoli going to take on Barcelona over there in, at the Camp Nou, and then, you know, Lazio traveling to Portugal to take on Porto. So I wanted to ask, you know, how do you feel about these three Italian sides, you know, faring in both the um, these competitions? Um, I'm not positive how well they will do this week. I think that you have a lot of tough, so there's no real debate that can be made from a serious perspective there that, you know, that, that they're stronger, but, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, and then Juventus, you know, they, they have the pieces, but do they have the system? So, you know, Villarreal is a, is a tough opponent and they're traveling there and, I think that, you know, it'll be incumbent on Allegri to get that right um, and, you know, figure out how to uh, progress them. Absolutely. I think it's going to be very interesting to see. And obviously, I think the big one to talk about is obviously, like I mentioned, that Real Madrid-PSG game. Because, you know, you're looking at potentially two of the, one of the favorites of the Champions League to be eliminated so early. And it was even the tasty uh, game that we got when the draw was announced last month, uh, sorry, two months ago. So, you know, everything is really going to go down to this really tight game. But how do you see this faring out? And given the fact that PSG have already blown into a huge advantage in Ligue 1, Real Madrid are still fighting for it despite them being in the top position. Do you see this game going either way? Or do you feel that with PSG being at home with the players that they have, that they might indeed be much more of a favorite, you would say, against um, well, Real Madrid. Yeah. Let's see which PSG comes out. I feel like there's the PSG who dominates Ligue 1, the one where, you know, Mbappe looks like, you know, the next coming of whoever, and, you know, and, and you just are in awe of them. And then, you know, you have the, especially in the Champions League, the PSG who have trouble holding onto Leeds and having have trouble holding onto, you know, the mentality, the winning mentality, so... I think it just comes down to that, and you know, being at home, you know, will give them a level of, uh, you know, being comfortable, and uh, I think give them a good chance to uh, start the tie off on a good, uh, good mark. Now, Zika, I want to jump in here really quick uh, and go into the, the transfer window of the program, which is obviously your, your certainly your field of expertise. Um, I want to start out with looking at the January window, which is normally not a very busy or crazy window, but I think. This time around was uh, a little more aggressive than usual. I, th I think by all intents and purposes, we would say Juventus are definitely the winners of this, uh, this particular window out of all the clubs in Europe, unless you have a different opinion. Um, but if, if Juve are the winners, what other teams were the winners? And what teams do you look at as the losers of this particular window that just didn't either A, lost too many important pieces or B, didn't add the pieces they needed to add? 
Yeah, no, I think let's talk about transfers the same way we started talking about the Serie A table. And we have we didn't talk about Milan at all, uh, mm. being in first place. But, you know, they have had uh, an incredible season, incredible as well for their performances and for the number of injuries to key players. Um, losing care for the season and there is center-back partner, Tomori, who also uh, injured um, a while back. Um, and... Uh, Maybe they're a team who didn't do enough to strengthen themselves. And Juventus, meanwhile, added the best striker in the league up, you know, from the last two seasons. And maybe that's a difference maker. So I think you you look at the Serie title race and you look at the moves that the teams made in January. Um, and yeah, you can uh, you can kind of draw a line between you know this point and the season end point. You know, however things end up. Um, I'm going to throw one to Roberto here, but I think that the um, Newcastle was was an incredible winner. Just looking at you know how the performance of, of the players that they brought in so far has been, I think that I yep. could see, you know, Vlahovic. Maybe in two years he's a target for them if he's you know if he proves that he's a a winner at Juventus. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that the steps that they made are are sort of uh, laying foundations and and the results they've already. Won a few games with you know since the, the their transfer flurry ended so um, yeah I could see them uh, I could see them you know being big heavy players in, in, in future transfer windows to come. Now now you know at the same time I want to ask you then because you brought up Vlaovic, uh in this summer window coming up obviously the big fish in the pond are going to be Erling Holland and Kylian Mbappe. Um, they've been linked with everybody in the planet. I mean, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Manchester City, Manchester United, Chelsea, um, you know, staying at PSG, you know, Bayern Munich, everybody in the world. Uh, does Newcastle even have a shot at getting either of those two? Or do you think they sit this one out and try to get Vlahovic in a couple of years? I mean, yeah, in my, you know, in my, in my imagination, it's, it's, it's the, it's the second scenario. It's, um, you know, this year is a survival fight for them. And, and it seems like they're going to be able to uh, achieve that um, this year. And then, you know, their objectives will change. And I mean, crazy things happen in the transfer window and, and they're usually fueled where, where there's money. So um, I think if you see big bombastic deals, including, you know, Fig, you know, players, their agents, and and types of you know amounts of money being thrown around. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not, um, you know, when you have a, a Real Madrid going after him or an Mbappe, um, you know, not sure if if that's where they're going to choose. But if it, but if if they become that destination in a few years, with the likes of signing kind of those escalator players, getting you know, getting a Vlahovic, getting. Uh, Holland when you know when the time's right when when the project's right so yeah we'll see but but crazy things happen and you know always expect the unexpected so so last question before we let you go and again thanks for coming on the show and joining us um I want to stick with Juve real quick uh because there are some question marks leading into the summer window uh first off the contract of Paulo Dybala the interest in Matthias Delict and uh and, and possibly the disposition of Alvaro Morata especially with Federico Chiesa you know, coming back or, or eventually coming back, and Morata with the addition of Lajovic has kind of slotted into that left wing type uh, of position. What are your thoughts on what's going to happen with Dybala, Delict, and and Morata as well? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, when when Kiesa comes back, I, you know, I think you can play with Lajovic flanked by 
Kiesa and Dybala, maybe if that's if that's the team they have next year. Um, I think that um, yeah, you could see changes at, at, at Juventus. I think that they really have to reform the identity, and hopefully that there's you know the strategy there to um, you know that not only financially but but the pieces on the field. And I think that that's a, a criticism that's been leveled at them is that they are too business focused and not enough, um, you know, not enough focus on the personnel on the field and how they actually play together. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you have pieces that work. I think you have a uh, defensive bunning defensive partnership that, you know, at least you have delict and, and, and you have um, in the midfield. I, I think that um, retaining the, the players that they brought in the last two years and, and maybe supplementing them. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think, that you could see more changes this summer from Juventus. And I think they always love to um, attract the, their rivals' uh, talents. So um, I think you could see some moves within Serie A like, like they always are capable of pulling off. Sure. All right. Let, let, actually, one more last question before I let you go. Um, given that uh, COVID is starting to lift its grip on the world, do we see the ICC come back here in the United States and do the three of us get to hang out in Boston again when one of the teams plays up there? I'd say Boston, Philadelphia, D.C., anywhere on the East Coast, New York, that's a done deal. So let's hope that they're back. And we're very thankful that, you know, that, that's a possibility again. Awesome. And I look forward to it. Uh, absolutely. Us too, man. So, Zeke, thanks again for coming on the show. Always a pleasure to have you on and catch up. Um, all the best. And, and like you said, hopefully this summer we actually get to hang out and uh, at a match and uh, have a couple of beers and just enjoy the time together. I'd love it. And it was great talking with you guys. Thanks a lot. Thanks, man. Take care. And special thanks again for Zeke Tell for joining us on the show. Roberto, we have some great matches of the week coming up this week, so let me lay them on you real quick. Obviously, the league. On Friday, the Derby della Mole, Juventus Torino, 2.45 p.m. On Saturday in the EPL, uh, Manchester City, Tottenham Hotspur, 12.30 p.m. And then on Sunday, we're going to get you up bright and early in the Ligue 1 with Nice and Angers at 7 a.m. We'll go to Valencia, Barcelona at 10.15 a.m. And we're going to close out our week with Borussia Dortmund, Borussia Mönchengladbach at 11.30 a.m. Check your local, local listings for times as well. And there are plenty of other matches that are definitely keeping uh, worth keeping an eye on. Roberto, I laid... Uh, a, a, a trivia question on you a little earlier in the show. Let me repeat it for you. Um, so Chelsea, uh, 2-1 winners over Palmeiras in the Club World Cup, uh, a, a, comp- a competition that the European sides have dominated, um, uh, it, it, going back all the way to Internacional over Barcelona in 2006. Since that particular match between Internacional of Brazil and Barcelona, only one non-European team has won the competition. I asked you, who that team was, who they beat, and I told you that the final score was one nil. Who scored the goal? So, uh, who was uh, who was the team to win that match? That was Corinthians, and they played Chelsea in 2012. It was a one nil win, and the goal that was scored was from Paulo Guerrero, the Peruvian striker. Corinthians over one nil over Chelsea. And Paulo Guerrero, the Peruvian international, scored the goal, my friend. I, I, I figured it was an easy one for you, but, uh, but we, we gave it a shot anyway, and uh, hopefully everybody enjoyed the uh, question. So without anything else on the closing docket, my friend, let's hit the closing music. Let's do it. Uh, all right, here we go. 
So for episode 348 of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Zeke Telford joining us on the show. Next week, we will recap the first week of the round of 16 of Champions League and the round of 32 in the Europa League, as well as give you all the league action as well. And to see if any of the other three uh, races that we were talking about have uh, come, you know, given us a little more clarity. So for episode 348 of Low Limit Football, I am Joe Ucello. I'm Roberto Rojas. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night.